Hello, and welcome to the Oracle of Light. I'm Shauna DeMellon. I'm a lifelong medium and certified life coach. And making the connection with the afterlife has brought me the greatest joy. Since losing my son, Jack, I have navigated grief, heartache, and despair. And it was through connecting with my son on the other side that my heart began to heal and I was able to find joy and meaning in my life again. Now, I'm inviting you into this space as I explore the afterlife, the grieving process, and rebuilding after loss. If you'd like to discover the spirit world and how to move through the loss of a loved one or child, you have come to the right place. This is the Oracle of Light. Amazing. All right. Well, welcome. I am I'm just so thrilled that you're here today. One of the, and you touched on this just a few minutes ago, one of the main reasons I wanted to invite you into my space is that I work with mainly moms, mainly moms who have lost children. And after we connected a few months ago, I thought, you know, this is something that needs to be expanded to include the fathers, to include dads as well. And so thank you so much for joining us today. This is just absolutely fantastic. Would you would you share a little bit about about your girl, about Shayna? Would you would you share her beauty with us? Oh sure. I'd love to do that. Um let's see, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Shayna was uh born in the year 2000, January 13th, 2000. Um, it was kind of funny because the day she was born, the night she was born, I remember the nurses saying that you got your hands full with this one. I mean, even her birth was was really interesting. It was supposed to be a, a normal delivery. My wife, we, um, she was induced. My wife was induced. And we started about 7 o'clock in the morning. They said probably by noon, you know, Shana will be born. Well, she wasn't born until about 11 that night. <laughs> um, and her heart was decelerating and stuff. And I'm like thinking, just, you know, just get her out. I don't care what you do. Do a C-section, whatever you need to do. But the way that she cried in the nursery, the, the nurses are like, you know, this this child is just like really willful. Um, she um, just a brilliant girl. We homeschooled both of our girls for like the first eight years of their of their school careers. So we got to spend a lot of time together. And looking back on that now, I'm just really thrilled that we've got to spend you know, all that time because she was only 15 when she passed. Um, so I'm sorry, one second. Alexa, turn on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> All right, so let me start. My wife just decided to come down and go outside. Um, so Shana was born, as I said, uh, January 13th, 2000. Um, we, she was just a force from the, from the day she was born. We could tell the nurses talked about the way she cried, you know, when she was born. It was just a very determined thing. Um, but you know, she, we did have trouble with the delivery. It lasted a lot longer than we thought it was going to. It was about 12 hours. We thought it was going to be just normal, but that was just Shana. She was always, always special. Um, we did decide to homeschool our girls for like eight years. So we got to spend a lot of time with them, eight years each of their school careers. And she's got a sister that's three years older. She passed in, um, June of 2015. Um, and it was just a really sudden thing. She, we knew she had a, a minor heart condition that she was being treated for, but it was really minor. She was supposed to go see the cardiologist like once every two years. And it had been about two years since she had been. She has been called Wolf Parkinson's White, which caused her heart rate to accelerate. 
um, just periodically. We just we just beat up for only a few seconds at a time. But she never lost consciousness. She was not on any medication or anything. So that morning we went to wake her up, and uh, she just she didn't she didn't wake up that morning. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Shanda, as I said, we we always kind of, we knew she was special. Um, everybody thinks her kid's special, of course, but you know she was just always really um, really willful, uh, really talented at everything. She was a, a basketball player. She played for from the time she was five years old till she was like in eighth grade. She played like a super high level. She went to national tournaments. And then in eighth grade, she said, I think I want to play volleyball instead of playing basketball. And we're like, Shana, you've been training for basketball your whole life. The high school coach is looking forward to you. He's already got your position help, you know, mapped out for you. She was 5'10", and they really wanted her you know, to play you know, center for them. Uh, she said, no, I want to play volleyball. I'm done with basketball. So we're like, okay, Shana, you can try, but we'll see how it goes. So she went to a camp uh, like that June, and she played volleyball for three months at this camp. She'd never played competitively in her life. So she said, I'm going to go out for the high school team. And we said, Shana, you're not going to make the high school team. This girl's been playing all their lives, just like you played basketball all your life. Well, she made the high school team, uh, the freshman team. And she ended up starting on the freshman team, you know, the, the one year she played. Um, she went to nationals in volleyball. And in fact, that's where she was the week before she passed. She was in, mm. we live in Ohio. She was in Florida at a national tournament. So um, that's 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 Shana. She was just um, really popular. She was 16th in her class in high school. The one year she was there in, in ninth grade, she was uh, as a class of about 600 kids. So she was really at the top of the class. And her fr- one of her best friends was number 15. And Shane would say to her, "And I'm coming for you," because Shane was you know just very very competitive uh, and everything she did. But she was really really well liked too. Um, so that's her. Oh, thank you. What a beautiful girl. Her her energy is just so big and 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 there's just such a presence with it. Now, have you have you experienced her from the other side? Have you do you receive signs? Does what does that look like? Oh wow. Um yeah, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I because of the work I do, I do get a lot of medium readings. Um, and they always are like, she's just big, you know, she's she's bubbly, she's effusive. Um, and this is uh, Shana, my background, because I she, she's behind everything that I do in terms of my work. Um, signs just like off the hook. I, you know, I was telling you uh, earlier, I was at a Helping Parents Heal conference this past weekend. And let, there's 900 parents there. And we're, you know, we're, we're all hoping for signs and stuff. And uh, we hadn't really gotten any signs from Shana, you know, while we we're there that week. But, you know, we get signs all the time. And it's been seven years. So I'm like, okay, that that's fine. So as Suzanne Giesman is wrapping up the conference, she makes reference to, it's a long story, but she ended up going to Monticello, uh, which is the home of Thomas Jefferson. So I just got this urge to go to Monticello. She was on her way back from somewhere and she stopped in. And I'm like, well, maybe that's a sign because um, my great, 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 great grandfather is Thomas Jefferson. And I, our family took a trip to Monticello. We had a family reunion there. We had a special behind the scenes tour. So I'm like, Maybe this is our connection to Shana for the week, right? So um, the other part of the story was she found, Suzanne found a hair barrette, our hair elastic band that had a butterfly on it. And um, so I'm like, well, that's that's pretty cool. All right, right. So I'm, I'm on the plane flying back from Phoenix. I'm sitting in my seat and I get an alert on my phone that says there's an alarm at your front door. Emotion's been detected at your front door. I'm like, okay. I look at the clip of the, of the video 
there's this butterfly that's flying around our camera in the front door for like 30 seconds. And this has never happened before. I've never gotten an alert. There was a butter. There was a butter. And it li- I literally landed on the camera lens. <laughs> so I've got the video of it. So I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Maybe this is another sign because we got the Monticello thing. And Suzanne mentioned butterflies. And her and she said, that's a sign she gets from her daughter. And it's not really a sign we get that much from Shana. So I'm like, that's really interesting. So I'm, I'm on the plane. I'm listening to music. And... Uh, the music stopped streaming. I'm listening to Apple Music. So I'm just like burnt out from this conference for a week. And I don't really want to listen to podcasts or anything. So I'm listening to music, which I hardly ever do anymore. It stopped streaming. So I'm like, well, this the plain Wi-Fi must not be working. So let me just go and look at downloaded music. I'll just listen to something that's already in my phone. Mm-hmm. So I go through my downloaded music. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. There's a reading I had there from a woman named, I can say her name because I got permission, uh, Stacy Lynn Cripps. And it was from last April, April 2021. I'm like, I'll just listen to that reading again, which I hardly ever listen to medium readings twice. So in the reading, she says, butterflies are a special sign between you and Shana, which at the time I was like, yeah, everybody gets butterflies. That's not that big of a deal. But again, this is after Suzanne mentions the butterflies. And I've just watched this video of a butterfly that's 3,000 miles away on my camera at home. (laughs) And I'm listening to the rest of the reading. She goes, and I see you going someplace and speaking. I see you standing behind the podium. Uh, Shana's speaking with you. And I see you on a plane. And well, I very, very rarely travel, maybe once a year. I have never flown anywhere to speak. Um, I, I haven't spoken from a stage in many years. And I was speaking at the Helping Parents Heal conference. So I'm like, yeah, this is a sign I just got Tuesday when we were flying back. So that's the kind of stuff that we get from Shana. Oh, I love that. And, you know, and, and I'm I'm sure from, you know, from the other side, she's like, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. Make sure, make sure this is me. It's me. <laughs> it it was, that. it was wild because I, you know, I shared first the Monticello thing and then the butterfly thing came in and then I listened to the reading again and she, she was like, I see you on a plane. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, it, it was just like, I don't even know how many parts it is. I can't count probably five parts to that sign. Amazing. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I love that. Now, I'd love to I'd love to chat a little bit more about what it was like and and you've written a book. So your book, I, I love how your book came about and all of the work that you do now. And so what can you share with us around you know, what are the best ways to cope when that first lands, when that, that loss is fresh? What, what do you tell people? What can you offer people at that time? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Uh, The thing about uh, grief is it's, it's not linear and it's different for everybody, but there are some general things. So what I tell people that first weeks, six months, year, two years, it's just shock. And I call it the white knuckle, uh, white knuckle phase. It's just because you're just hanging on. And so my book is titled Grief to Growth. And that's why I titled my business also, because I think that grief can't be a growth event. But I never tell anybody that in that in that first phase. It's just hanging on. It's just trying to figure out what's really going on. You know, is this real? Do I want to be here anymore if you're a parent? And and almost universally, I've heard parents say, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to be here anymore. You know, I want to be, you know, I want to be where my kid is, you know, are, is, is she okay? So what I try to f- focus on people in that first part is like, yes, your child is okay. 
They are they they did not cease to exist. Yes, they're okay. They're better than okay. You don't have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is a lot of times there's guilt. And there's guilt, whether it's death by suicide, death by drug addiction, whether it's accident, whether it's illness. As parents, we take it all on. They could have died from cancer. They could have died. I, I, I talked to a woman. Her son, her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Her daughter was 37 years old and was like somewhere else. But she said, I did seven things wrong that day. And she counted the things that she did wrong. This is a, a universal thing I think that humans do. It's like somehow we place it on ourselves. So that that first part of it, it's not about growth. It's about hanging on. It's about not compounding your grief with guilt. Mm-hmm. And it's about don't worry about your child. You know, do do not worry about them. So I try to take that off of their plate um, just to kind of get them back to equilibrium. So in, in my book, I talk to people about like, what can you expect? There's something called grief fog, you know, where it's like we can't concentrate. There's we can't remember things. People think they're going into early dementia because it's like I can't remember what's going on. I can't remember what someone said to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I try to assure people whatever it is you're going through, it's normal. You know, we all go through these things. So um, that's the early part of it is, is just really kind of hanging in there. I love that. And and from the work that I've done over the years, I can't count the number of of mothers and fathers who, like you said, they, there's that guilt. No matter what transpired, there is that guilt. And I've noticed in the last couple of years that um, there are more parents who will say things like, I, my life is over. My mm-hmm. life will, you know, until I am reunited with that child, there's nothing here for me. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Do you find that people get stuck in their grief? Yeah. And I went through that. You know, I I, I was like, I don't want to be here, you know? And I thought, you know, there's this weird thing that we go through. It's like the best way to honor my child is to show how devastated I am. And to never smile again and never be happy again. And that'll show how much I really love them. And it's, it's, and we, so what I, again, try to convince people is like, your child doesn't want that. That's not the way to honor them. But I, I went through that phase. Um, I feeling no sense of purpose. I mean, when you're a parent, it's like, for me anyway, it's like, in a way, that's when your life begins. That's when, you know, when you look at that kid and it's like, okay, now I know why I'm here, you know, um, and for me, I took that, you know, that role very seriously. And, you know, especially for people, if it's their only child, they may say, well, now that I'm no longer a mother or now that I'm no longer a father, I have no reason to, to be here. So, yeah, I do find that to be very, very uh, common with people because we get so wrapped up in that identity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing is, we have to, there's a few things we have to realize. One is our child has their own soul plan. You know, when, when our child dies or passes i don't like the word dies because no one dies but when our child crosses over we think it happened to us you know everything happens to us and it's like they have their own plan they have their own soul plan Mm -hmm. and it's hard to remember that um i remember eckhart tolle i read his book many years ago one of the things that stuck with me is he said our children don't come from us they come through us Yes. You know, we, we don't create our children. We don't own our children. You know, we are we're fortunate to be given that responsibility for a certain period of time to to nurture them and help them grow and to teach them, but we don't we don't own their lives. So um we all have our own soul plans. And I tell people, if you're here, there's a reason for you to be here. And there's a and, and that's the thing is I don't you gotta I gotta find that reason again. You know, I've got to find out what the reason is for me to still be here. 
Um, the other thing that I think is really, really important. I know you feel, I think you feel this way from talking before is our kids are still with us. You know, I was, I was given my presentation helping parents heal this past week. And, you know, I, I, I always say I decided that I had to live for the sake of Kayla and my do- and my wife, Twana, because they're still here. And it took me years for to realize I also have to live for the sake of Shana um, because she's still here with me and she still wants to be proud of me. And we still have work to do. And I believe we're on a mission together. So I, I, I live for her, too. Oh, I love that, Brian. That is just so, so powerful. And I, I you know, I, I often... I'll often say to, you know, parents, you know, when, when not at that first stage, you know, when they've, when they've moved a little bit further on with their grief, um, you know, we'll have a conversation around, you know, is there a legacy that's left behind? Like, how would you Mm -hmm. like to remember and honor your child's essence? Because it's still here, like you were saying, it's still very much here. And, and, you know, it was, similar in the fact that after I lost Jack, there were a couple of years there where it was just a total fog. I was just in complete shock. And people would say to me, we were a medium, just connect with him. What's the big deal? And so it's interesting to navigate through that and coming out the other side of it, be able to reassure people that it, it, it will get better to reassure people that you have to go through it. I don't know how many people I've met over the years that, no, they don't even know I'm going to become a workaholic or, you know, perhaps addictions come into play or, you know, their, their relationships all, uh, you know, suffer and change. And it's just, it's so important to go through it. And now what is your take on, the stages of grief. I mean, we've, we've heard about this and there are so many, right? Like there's so many different, you know, modalities and mindsets and, 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 you know, there are five stages and there are eight stages and you have to grieve and then you mourn. And then uh, there's, there's so much around that. And, you know, I would love to hear what your take is on that. Yeah, that's, that's a really great question too. And uh, what's interesting is right now I'm actually going through a certification program with David Kessler who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote The Five Stages of Death and Dying, or Five Stages of Dying, and then he adapted that to The Five Stages of Grief. So I'm sitting there in the class, and you know the question always comes up, David, there aren't five stages of grief. What are you talking about? And I saw him, I actually introduced him at the conference this weekend, and I saw him speak, and, and that, that came up. So what I, I like what he says now. It's like, we adapted the five stages of dying to for the book, The Five Stages of Grief. And he's actually actually a sixth day now to cause meaning. He says, but they're not linear. They're not rules. There's no way. So, and you might bounce from, from one phase to another. So I think stage is not the right word. Um, grief is is messy. And I wish I could remember who to say it is to, to give them uh, credit. But I heard someone say, grief isn't an emotion. It's a container for emotions. So we can be angry we can be sad we can be fearful we can be numb we can be we might get to the point sometimes we feel like we don't really care all these things all these things are normal and we bounce around you know shock is 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 a thing that we go through um and then we get we come to acceptance but acceptance isn't like oh i've accepted it we accept over and over again because we accept it and then we then we're mad again, right? And we accept it. And we accept in stages, all these little mini acceptances, you know, we have to accept. So it's not like any of these stages are final, including the stage of acceptance. Um, I think that we, you know, for me, it's been seven years. I expect I'll be bouncing around between these stages for the rest of my life. There's still di- 
days I wake up and I'm like, this, this sucks. You know, I, I don't want this. Um, but most of the time I'm, I'm pretty good with it. And I know how to get, when I do fall in those other stages, I can get back to acceptance quicker. And, and that's the thing about it. So another thing I think is really, really important to understand is that grief doesn't, um, sometimes people say it goes away after time, uh, or it gets less. And I think a better way of putting it is we get stronger. So we actually get bigger to contain the grief. So it, it seems lighter because we can handle it better, but it's not because the grief got any lighter. It still sucks just as bad, but we've learned how to, how to handle it better. And so we've learned, we learn techniques when things come up that, that throw us off when triggers hit us, how do we get back to where we need to be? Um, so it's, it's a constant cycle in and out. I love that. You know, and one of the things I, I found for myself personally, one of the, one of the sticking points for me was that I was so angry. I was so angry, but I kept bottling it up and bottling it up and thought, nope, it's just a stage. <laughs> it's just a stage. And they would ping pong back and forth. And and I yeah. found that, you know, it would connect to other losses that I had. And it was just, sometimes it felt like a tsunami. And you're right. It's like this container. And over time, it, it's like I'm able to cope with it better. And I was, I was so angry. And there was a medium that I worked with and she said, get angry. It's okay to be angry. And and then I allowed myself to go into that space for about, I don't know, probably three or four weeks. I was angry at everyone. I was angry at me. I was angry at God. I was angry at the doctors. And then I was angry at, at Jack and I couldn't even look at him for a day. And then I was like, I'm sorry. And it was just, oh my gosh. And you know, one of the things that I always like to tell people is that there is no guidebook for grief. There is no one size fits all. Whatever you are going through and experiencing that, you just have to give it the dignity to let it be whatever it needs to be and just experience it the way that it's going to show up. You know, right. I've, read, I've read for different families before where you've got five different family members and they're all at a different place with it. And that's okay. And that's that's totally okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. There's no, there's no one way to do it. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing right or wrong. Um, anger is, is a normal thing. You know, I, I worked with a couple where, um, I, one of them, I believe was bypassing because they were just all about the Bible and this is the way things are supposed to be. And, and this, so this is the way that I am because this is what the Bible says. And the other one was feeling all the feelings and having the anger and trying to get, you know, the, the partner to be real. And it was, just, it was really just kind of ripping them apart because not just because they were grieving differently, which is a problem, but because I believe one was in denial about grief. And the thing about it is we have to turn and face it. You know, we can, you said, we can, we can become a workaholic. We can, we can go to drugs. We can, we can avoid, I know some people that like, I don't want to speak my child's name. I don't want to see pictures of them. That, I mean, I, I say there's no wrong way to do it, but that's not doing it. And the only wrong way to do grief is to not do it, to try to just stuff it because uh, it will not be denied and it'll just, it will just follow you. And I, my grandmother passed away. I was just like 21 years old. I was 24, 25 when it just really hit me. I mean, three years later, uh, but I, I, I interviewed a woman for my program. I think it was 15 years for her after her son passed before she was able to feel all the feelings. So I tell people, if you, if you want to get angry, get angry, maybe put a lemon on it, right? We're not going to do this for the rest of our lives. Um, but you know, say I'm going to be, if you're, ang I'm, I'm feeling angry right now, I'm going to feel the anger. I'm just going to sit down and be angry for 
15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. If you, if you need to cry, I, I, I talked to one woman, her family, whole family was in denial. They wouldn't even speak the son's name. And she said, I feel like if I start crying, I'll never stop. I said, I guarantee you, you'll stop. Mm -hmm. I said, but take a time, get the box of pictures that you have out, sit down at the kitchen table and say, I'm going to look at his picture for an hour. And just, you know, just set that side of that time aside, you know, because we have to face it. it it's just, otherwise it's going to eat us up. It's true. And I found you know, after I, after I lost my son, I found that it it sort of seeped into every area of my life. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was just, it was, you know, looking back, of course, we can look back and sort of see it a little more clearly when we're in the midst of it. It's just sort of like, you know, as you mentioned, there's this fog and it's just, it can be overwhelming and we're kind of all over the place. Um, I find that, you know, with a lot of the work that I do, and, and you probably understand this as well, is, is just, it's just people step into that sacred space with it. But it's come, it's an invitation to step in and, and just experience it and just start to be with it. And, and you mentioned, you know, some people, they don't, they don't want to start crying or they don't want to go there because they don't think they'll be able to handle it. And I've heard people say before, you know, well, if I, if I completely heal, that means I forget that child or I forget that loved one. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that, there was somebody that had said, I, it was a little while ago, someone said to me, um, you know, well, if I if I stop saying my child's name, um, it means that they don't exist anymore. So I have to say it a certain number of times a day. And I said, really? So, you yeah. know, you were saying, you know, there's a right, there isn't a right way or a wrong way, but there's, you know, it's just, I think it's just such a personal thing and, and to really tune into what feels good for you at that time. And that, yeah. that changes. It could change five times in a day. It could change five times in an hour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's a lot of things we have, as you said, you know, if I heal, that means I didn't really love them that much. I've heard some people say that the amount of grief is proportional to the amount of love, um, which is maybe true in a sense, but it doesn't mean you have to mourn in that way, that you have to wear sackcloth and ashes for the rest of your life. The first time that you laugh or, you know, and you catch yourself laughing, you might feel guilty. Uh, when, you know, the first time I remember I hadn't cried for a day, I'm like, what's going on here? Why am I not crying anymore? Um, you know, the thing about keeping them alive in our memory, that's a really, really cool thought, but it's not only in our memory. I think it was the movie Coco that had that. It's like, the, it's like when, when people stop saying your name, that's when you truly cease to exist. And we, we say these trite things like, well, they're alive in your heart. And um, was, again, it was at this conference this weekend. I love what some of the presenters says, like, they're not just alive in your heart. You, even if you forget them and never say their name again, you're not killing them. They're still alive. Uh, now you can you can keep them in your heart, and that's great. You can you can have that connection, but they're they're fully alive whether you acknowledge it or not. Um, but I, you know, for me, I acknowledge my daughter every day because I know she's still with me. And you know, just like you wouldn't ignore your child if they were still here, you're not gonna. I don't, I'm not gonna ignore her because she's not physically here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now. Why do you think we grieve? Why do we grieve? Um, well, grief is is actually, it, it, grief is not just about missing a person. It could be anything, any loss. So anything that that we've lost that we feel isn't like we should still have, we, we grieve. So it's bigger than, like I said, losing a person. It could be losing a job. It could be losing a, you know, a marriage. Um, it could be moving away from your, your family and friends. You know, these are all different types of grief. Um, the reason why we grieve people though, and this is really interesting because the, uh, DSM, the latest DSM, the psychiatric diagnostic journal came out and, and identified a disorder called prolonged grief disorder. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So if you grieve in the wrong way, more than six months or a year, they diagnose you with prolonged grief disorder. And they were so excited about it because they said, well, now we, we can treat grief like an addiction. So we're looking for a pill that'll, that we can give people so they'll get over their grief. Anybody that's lost a child or a spouse or somebody that's really that close and realizes how silly that is. We are, we are, you know, I like, I got this from Sandra Champlain in her book, uh, We Don't Die. We are literally addicted to that person that we love. It's, mm -hmm. it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. And this is not a bad addiction. We're meant to have these bonds. And the thing is that when someone passes, transitions, the bond is not broken. We still have that bond. And I'm going to have that bond my whole life. Um, and we grieve because they're not physically here. So it's really a matter of forming a new type of relationship with them. And people will say, well, it's not the same. It's not the same. Um, it's not as satisfactory in most ways. In some ways, it's actually better. Um, you know, the thing is, Shana's always with me. She's just always a call away. I, I tell people, my daughter, Kayla, who lives, you know, a little ways from here, about 25 minutes from here. Um, I talk to her every couple of weeks. I talk to her when I see her. I talk to Shana every day. So in, in that way, it's actually better. She's closer to me than people who are physically here. But it takes a long time to get there. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm seven years in at this point. Um, so the reason why we grieve is because we miss their physical presence. We miss their voice. We miss their their touch. We miss, you know, taking them on vacation with us. You know, this this week I was helping parents heal with Kayla and with my my wife. And I really wanted Shana to be there, but then I realized, well, we wouldn't be here if Shana was here. So it's a, it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. It is a weird thing. Now, I'd like to talk about your book. Your book is absolutely incredible. And now everyone can find it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And where is that? Is that the main place that we can find your book is on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon and my website, but mainly on Amazon. Okay, perfect. I love that you had mentioned, uh, I had a quick read through it on the weekend. I love, I love how everything, I love everything that you shared and, and the program that you mentioned that, that you have put together to take people through. Is that, is that something that, that you would want someone to be a little further into their grief journey before they would start to delve into that work with you or, or where do people start to step into that? Yeah. You know, the, the program, is is actually still evolving, right? And and when people want to work with me, everybody wants it's interesting. Everybody wants a, a product, as we call it, being in, in the in the business, right? So we try to make things into products. So people are like, well, how do how many phases are there, and how many? And, and there are there are programs out there, um, but everybody's different. Everybody's at a different point in their journey. So what I do with people is, we come in. I I do a half hour consultation with them and see where they are, and then I'm like, we just have conversations. I'm like what do you want to talk about? So everybody's, like I said, everybody's different. Some people want to talk about the guilt. You know, I talked to one the other day and she says, I'm really struggling with my faith. So let's talk about faith. Um, people say, well, I'm not sure if I really believe this. So can you give me some evidence? So I, I give them evidence. So I try, I meet people where they are. There are a few things that are kind of universal. I'm the farther I've gotten in this and I wrote the book a couple of years ago, but the biggest thing I tell people right now, it's about everything in life is, well, not everything, self-care. You've got to take care of yourself. So I have I have a four-step thing I've come up with to take care of yourself. Um, and so I, it's I because people want acronyms, right? So I have an acronym and it's GEMS, G-E-M-S. So it's 
gratitude practice, you, you gotta, you gotta do gratitude. And this is, I know when people hear that they're going to roll their eyes because I did for a long time. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've got nothing to be grateful for. I bought the book, the power of positive thinking. And I threw it in the trash. I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is stupid. I don't believe in this stuff. Yeah. Um, and we can debate about manifestation or not, but this isn't about magical thinking. This is about neurolinguistics. This is about retraining your brain. Our brains are evolved to look at what's wrong. What am I missing? What's what's the problem? How do I solve this problem? Our brains are evolved to keep us alive, not to bring meaning into our life. So we have to retrain our brains. And one of the ways we do that is through gratitude. And so what it is, I can look at what I'm missing in my life and I can do that all day long. There's always gonna be something missing, but I never focus on what I have in my life. So the practice is, I tell people, start simple. When you wake up in the morning, think of three things you're grateful for. And for me, it's like, I have a warm bed. You know, I'm, I got a warm shower to get into. I'm having dinner with friends tonight. These don't have to be big things. There's always something in your life to be grateful for. So when you do that, you're, again, retraining your brain to look for what's right in your life versus what, what's wrong. Um, so that's that's the start. Uh, exercise is the second thing. And I tell people, wherever it, whatever works for you, however it works for you. For me, it's walking. I walk six miles every morning uh, before I start my day. I do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's good for my body, and it's important to take care of your body. But it, more importantly, it's good for my brain. It's good for my mind. That, that uh, just getting out of nature. So for people, I'm like, 10 minutes after dinner, you know, walk. Um, whatever works for you. I, it's, I interviewed a woman. She's like, all oh, my friends said do yoga. She's like, I hated yoga. My friend said walking. I didn't like walking. She got into powerlifting. Like, that's what works for me. I like the power lift. I like, it makes me feel strong. I like the reps. You know, I can kind of get lost in that. I like the way it changes my body. So I'm like, yeah, that's what works for you. Um, and then mindfulness or meditation. Um, I think it's really important that we learn to still our mind, learn to not, and that's the thing, we can't really quiet our mind, but to to, to slow it down, to understand our thoughts are not us, to start to learn to control our thoughts a little bit to know what's a, uh, what I call a saboteur thought versus what's a sage thought. Um, so just really getting to know ourselves through mindfulness. And then the fourth one is, is sleep. I think it's really important that we try to get on some sort of relief sleep schedule. When people are going through grief, they either sleep too little, which is for most of us, we can't sleep or we sleep too much. So I give people some techniques like you know, turn off your devices an hour before you go to bed, go to bed at the same time every night, you know, um, stuff like that. So those are, those are the four things that everybody can do all the time. They're especially important when you're in grief. Um, so those are, that's kind of where I start people out, you know, for, for everybody. And then I said, then we talk and it's like, okay, what is it that you need? Is, is your, is it your faith? Is, are you dealing with guilt? Is it really knowing that your your loved one is still there? Is it learning how to connect with them? Because people want to know, how do I connect with them? You know, are they still really there? How do I recognize the signs? You know, what are signs? Um, was that a sign? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, all those things. So just, like I said, meeting people where they are. The book was really, um, I've been doing so much work with this. And I learned so much over the first, I guess I wrote about three years ago. So I guess four years. I'm like, and I like to write, so. Um, I'm like, let me just put everything I know just in one place. You know, all the I, I do a, a blog and I was like, let me take a lot of my blog posts. Let me put those in there. Let me give people some tools and techniques. I wanted to keep it really short. It's like you can read it in less than 
a couple of hours. Uh, I did an audio version because I know when people are in grief, they can't they can't read. So there's an audio version if you want to just listen to the audio. Um, so just a kind of a primer just to what to expect. I love that. Thank you. That is that is beautiful. And those we'll put those in the in the show notes, um, the steps and you know, you touched on gratitude. You know, there are so many people that um, you know, they've they've said to me and, and I'm I'm a huge proponent of gratitude. It's just there, you can always find something to be grateful for, right? Mm-hmm. Like a warm bed. Um, you know, uh, there was, you know, early on in my grief, I, I thought there's, I wasn't, wasn't thankful for anything. And of course that fed my mind. My mind just went into, oh yeah, look at this. This is wrong. And this is wrong. And everything is horrible. And it's like my whole life was painted in this shade of black and it was just, you know, all consuming. And so the gratitude practice and, you know, from an energetic perspective, I love to explain to people that that gratitude raises your vibration. And as we can raise your vibration, that's when we can become a little bit more aware of the spirit world because those energies are subtle. And so mm-hmm. just working at it from the gratitude perspective, I think is so powerful for people. And I think the other piece to that too, is that once we start, and at first we hate it, I hated it too. I'm like, there's nothing to be grateful for. I hate it. I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. I would just want to be with Jack and this, I hate this whole place. I hate everybody here. I hated everything. And yeah. right. And then when I started to work through the gratitude, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to give myself 30 days. I'm going to go all in. I called it my power hour. So the first hour I was up and, you know, by I'd say day seven, it was like, okay, I started to see more things to be grateful for. And I started to, you know, and there was, I share this um, in my work as well as, you know, I didn't wear mascara for that first year because I never knew when I was going to start crying. Mm -hmm. And then there was one day when I went for my walk and I sat there with my coffee and I sort of looked around and I would talk to Jack and I thought, oh, I haven't cried today. What's wrong? Like I I went into this, oh my gosh, what's wrong? I haven't cried today. So it's just, you know, it's, I love the work that you do because, it's so it's so important for people to find somewhere to go where they feel like they belong. So you have the book and we have the Helping Parents Heal and you have the podcast. What is the title of your podcast for everyone? It's Grief to Growth. Grief yes. to Number Two Growth. Mm-hmm. And they can find it everywhere. Spotify. Yeah, it's iTunes. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And now how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to reach out? Um, the way to get to, in touch with me is my website, which is grief2growth.com, grief2growth.com. So, you know, I tell people, um, you know, just, I do free half hour consultation. Most people don't want to start with that. You know, they're like, let's just start, dip our toe in the water. So you can listen to the podcast. You can get the book. Um, I do have a blog. I started this whole journey. It's really weird. The day after Shana passed away, I just had this notion. It's like, you've got to start a blog for Shana. So I started a blog and it was shanaelaine.com. And now it's moved into my grief to growth. So you can find my blog there. Um, I, I blogged pretty much daily for the first probably thousand days or maybe more. Um, I don't know how many entries there are there now. So I just, my, my thoughts. So if you want to go see what I was thinking early on, if, if that's what interests you, you know, you, you can, you can do that. Um, so yeah, that's where people, people can find me um, if they want to know more. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for sharing your beautiful girl. She's just so lovely, just a beautiful light. I love that her her essence and and her her being, her soul is still is still here, still creating, still sharing that beautiful love. So thank you for for everything that you do and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right, it was awesome being here. 